Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We had finished our, our series on God among us as we were counting down to the birth of Christ. But now we're going to be getting back into uh, the book of Acts, except again next week we might uh, take a little break as we talk about the new year. If anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand and someone will toss one to you. Well, actually, they'll just hand it to you since we don't want any injuries here. So I hand over here. Okay. Great. Acts chapter 5. Let's start at verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events, no doubt. Now, as this chapter starts out, it really, the context begins in chapter 4, verse 32, where a man named Barnabas sold his land and brought it before the apostles' feet. And as he had done this, no doubt it was something that was recognized as his name is mentioned and So this is a response to what he did, that generous act that he did. Prior to this, in this chapter, as Christ has been ascended into heaven, we only saw persecution coming from without those who were on the outsides, the Sadducees primarily, who didn't believe in the resurrection, were coming and opposing the Disciples, as they were talking about Jesus and the resurrection and as miraculous things were being done through them, persecution took place from without. And all we've heard up till now was just how they loved one another, how they had all things in common. Remember we talked about since Passover, all these people, Jews from all over, had come and gathered. And because of Pentecost, the 3,000 came to know the Lord and believe and have faith in Christ. And then 2,000 shortly after that. And so instead of them going off home, they stuck around. 
wanting to partake of what was going on, this incredible thing, this, this person of Jesus who has been magnified and resurrected and now miraculous things were being done in his name. This was all something that was new to many of these who were from the outside. And so they were hanging out, staying in Jerusalem, but they only had enough money for the weekend. You ever go on vacation and you have a budget and it's gone, you know, before the vacation's over? And it's like, oh, man, what do we do? Okay, get out the visa. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to pay later. Well, they had come, they had gathered, they were planning on staying for a short period of time, but now they were sticking around longer, and so they were running out of food. They were running out of places to stay, and so people were selling and giving as the need arose. This, this isn't communism. Okay, this isn't everyone was giving to each other and giving to the apostles. This is them giving what they have to others out of compassion. Communism is taking what's yours and giving it to me out of compulsion. There's a big difference. Okay, one is giving out of compassion, the other one's taking out of compulsion. But they were meeting the needs of all those that were there. And it was great and it was wonderful, but now there is a change. Something takes place that the Lord wants to make a point of. We spoke about this a little bit when we were going through this passage, the whole passage in depth on a Wednesday or Thursday a couple of weeks back. We talked about the principle of precedence. And what that means is God at times will try and make a point at that time that will last for all time. He wants to make something clear so that you understand his heart and his mind from then on. We saw that with the children of Israel as they were going into the promised land. And the spies went out to look at the land and some said, oh, we can't go there. There's giants. It's too much for us. After God had just parted the Red Sea, you know, and conquered the whole Egyptian army. It's too big for us. You know, we can't do that. And God said, okay, 40 years you're going to wander in the wilderness because you don't have faith in me. He's setting a principle there that lasted, well, at least for some of those people, 40 years. And then when they did go into the promised land, conquered Jericho, that incredible city with those huge walls, and God just smashed them down. And the incredible victory, God told them, don't take any of the spoil. Nothing in that city is to be taken. It belongs to me as an offering. But Achan went in. And he saw some gold, he saw some fill, silver, saw some nice threads, picked them up, said, oh, this will wear well later. Then they went to Ai, a smaller city. And Ai, they should have routed them, and they started getting beaten. And Joshua goes, what's up, God? And he goes, there's sin in the camp. Something's wrong. And Joshua called Achan out and said, hey, what's going on here? Achan had buried all the stuff underneath his tent. Him and his family was put in a ditch and they were stoned to death. God was making a point at that time that was supposed to last for a long time. And that's what's taking place here. God is wanting to make a point at this time that should last for all time. And thankfully, he made the point here and isn't making it this morning. You know, what if this was still the case today? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine. You know, <laughs> oh, I guess it wasn't fine. Rephrase that. I mean, if this was something that took place continually, there would not, I wouldn't be here. 
And I, I don't think you guys would be either. I think we'd all be gone. But God is trying to make a point, and the point is a very important one because it is something that Jesus talked about throughout his time in ministry. Whenever Jesus said, beware, be careful, it was almost always in regard to hypocrisy. Once it was in regard to greed, which is interesting. But every other time he said, beware, be careful, watch out. It was in regards to hypocrisy. And so the thing that Jesus wanted his disciples and us to be most concerned about was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, hypocritos in the Greek, it means acting, putting on a mask, pretending you're something that you're really not. And that was his biggest beef, so to speak, against the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that Jesus primarily dealt with. You guys act one way, but you're not. And you see, hypocrisy is the kind of thing that not only fools or can fool other people, but if we're not careful, it fools us as well. And that's the danger. You see, you can try and behave a certain way so people think that you're a certain way, but you can also live a certain way and think yourself unrealistically. So he says, be careful. Be careful of that. The Pharisees. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 about the two men who went into the temple to pray. One was a religious Pharisee. He went in there and said, God, I thank you that I I pray and I fast and that I'm not like this publican, this sinner. And then the publican, the sinner, went there. He couldn't even lift up his head. He pounded his breast and he said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus' point is that man, the publican, who said, have mercy on me, went away justified rather than the other. But the other guy did the right things. He prayed. He fasted. But he didn't have the right heart. He was putting on an act. He was comparing himself to others and not to God. And you see, hypocrisy really stems from pride. That's what happens here. These two, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, his name graceful and her name means beautiful or gracious and beautiful. They just saw what this guy Barney did. You know, he he got all this acclimates and they were there. Man, great job. You gave that. Oh, that's so cool. And they said, hey, I like that. I would like some of that for myself. And pride at its root is competitive. It compares towards others. You see, the reason some sports figures aren't satisfied making $13 million is because someone else is making 13.7. And I'm better than them. 
It's competitive. It's looking outside and saying, I want that for myself. Coveting something and desiring it. And it puts it at odds against it. And pretty soon, instead of looking at those people and saying, how neat, it says, I want some of that for myself. And it stems from pride. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, calls pride the great sin. It is the root of sin. It is by pride that the devil became a devil. And it will make devils of us all, he says. Because we want for ourselves. And what it does is it blinds us to what God cares about. And it elevates what we care about. And Jesus says, watch out. And so... Prior to this, everything was fine, but all of a sudden, hypocrisy came up in the church. And God says, I need to make a point at this time for all time. I want you to know how I feel about this. Bam! One Ananias down. Here comes his wife. Hey, Sapphira, did you do this? Now, asking that question is the opportunity for honesty. Did you do this? She could have said, no, that's not true. We didn't. There was the opportunity to come clean. There was opportunity to be genuine. There was the opportunity to tell it like it is. But instead, there was also the opportunity to look good in the apostle's eyes. I can either care about what God thinks and, and do the right thing, or I can care about what I think and pull one over on them. And that's what she chose. And bam, there she goes. And here comes the young guys just through burying her husband. They walk in and she's down. It's like, whoa. And it says afterwards the church didn't really grow that much for a while, you know. <laughs> Can't blame it. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to the church of the, the dead people, you know? I mean, just stay away from that one. But you see, God always provides opportunities for us to make the right decision, to make those choices. Have you ever been confronted with a temptation and you feel like God is saying, hey, 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 trying to get your attention and you're like, uh, and you do it anyway? No, just me. (laughs) He's giving us opportunity to change. And you see, sometimes that change is humbling ourselves and saying, yeah, we we didn't sell it for that. That was a lie. That was the wrong thing. It, it, It didn't happen that way. As a father, probably some of my I don't want to say best moments, but some of my, the things that I have passed on to my kids that are most important have been my being broken and saying, I blew it. I'm sorry. Because someday they're going to have to be broken and say they're sorry. And if I am just, I'm the dad, don't question me. I'm always right, but you know, Oh, you know, just start 
making my points across, I am not showing them what it means to be broken and repent before God. My pride is blinding what I'm portraying to them. And of course, they see the truth. You know, kids, they see right through it. And so the best thing you can do sometimes for your children is humble yourself and say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I knew a man I was in counseling who had a problem with gambling. And he lost two cars, lost a house, and was losing his family. And then the counseling where we were there talking together, I shared with him, you know, you have an incredible opportunity right now to present to your children what it means for a man to be broken and change and turn to God. Right now there is an incredible opportunity if you will humble yourself and be that man who shows your boys what it means to repent. Because someday in their life, they're going to need to know how to repent. We all do. And now is the opportunity for you to do that. Unfortunately, he didn't, and he has no relationship with his boys. Destroyed his marriage, his family. Couldn't. Couldn't see himself and the truth for what he was. He knew all the right things to say. He he read the Bible. He'd gone to church. It's easy to say those things. But in Amos... Chapter 5, verse 21, the Lord says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. And he's saying this in the context of you do all the religious things, but you're not living that life. You're acting one way, but you're really something else inside. And I hate it. And this is God's stamp telling us here in Acts 5, I still hate that. I hate putting on the mask, trying to please people. Now, why does God hate it? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, that's wrong, but why? What's what's at the heart of this? Well, at the heart of this, there is not the ability to be genuine. You see, God doesn't care for how you pretend to be. God cares about who you really are. And if you're always pretending to be something, how can you ever be dealt with in who you really are? Because it's always putting on a show, always putting up the good face. You know, those masks, the the acting, you know, the drama, there's the happy, I'm happy, I'm at church, you know, I get home, I'm back at church, you know, it's just this whole little act. And how does God get to you if you're always pretending? Because what he cares about is the real you, what's going on inside, who you really are. And you see, you can't fool God. You can fool others. You can fool some of the people all of the time and all the people some of the time. You can't fool God any time. But the scary thing is you can fool yourself. How does God deal with you when you are self-deceived? Thinking you're one way when you're really not. And the reason God hates and despises hypocrisy is because 
It blocks your growth. And it limits God's ability to work in your life and in my life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Actually, don't turn there. Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, starting at verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James gives a a practical explanation of hypocrisy. You're saying one thing, you're saying another thing, you're you're two-faced. Someone once told Abraham Lincoln that he was two-faced. And he said, if if I was really two-faced, do you think I'd be wearing this one? But they're saying one thing, doing something else. And you can't be genuine before God if you're saying one thing, but then doing something else, saying another thing. And I love how he he talks about harboring bitter and envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual. That's what it is. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. What's the truth? You're living dual life. Don't deny the truth. Recognize that where there are these things, where there is envy, selfish ambition, selfishness, again, stems from pride, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Recognize the truth that's taking place in your heart because if you don't, you're going to be giving in to that evil practice. And you see, if we are not genuine, then it doesn't allow us to be healthy and whole and healed. Go to chapter 5 of James, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins. Who likes to confess their sins? Anyone? 
Yeah, I love, I love telling people about how I blow it. Nothing brings more joy to my life. But you see, we all put on a mask. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't have any problems. I'm walking the spiritual life. I'm up here denying that, you know what, man, I, I've got a drinking problem. You know, I'm having a problem with pornography. You know, man, I really, I've just got a temper that I, I can't control at times and not realizing that, you know what, there are people in the room that have the same struggles that you do. And we have to be truthful so that we can be healthy. How can you confess a sin if you have none? When is the last time you were able to confess your sin to somebody? When is the last time you were able to tell someone, hey, this is going on in my life, pray for me? Why not? Because I'm worried about what they're going to think. They're going to think less of me. Well, doesn't God know that already? Well, yeah, but that's God. But you see, that's the problem, is in people's eyes, we have set this hypocrisy that we have this standard here and we cannot be genuine because of what people are going to think and because we're going to start throwing stones. Instead of like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the only safe place for someone who is in sin is at the feet of Jesus. And so we're hurting inside We're broken, we're struggling, but we hide it because we're afraid of what people will think. You see, Sapphira could have done the right thing and said, you know what, we didn't sell it for that much. I'm sorry. Humbled herself and said, that wasn't the truth. We were trying to do this and we weren't and had been forgiven. That would have been better. It would have been honest. It would have dealt with the heart that probably others were thinking about as well. But they were just glad they did it, not them. But instead, she just said, nope, didn't do that. Put on the the brave face, the false face. Wasn't genuine. And when are we going to realize that God sees and God is the one we have to answer to? That God is the one who cares? That's what Jesus was trying to bring. That's why he was so against the Pharisees who say one thing and do another thing. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, he said. Don't be play acting. Don't pretend. God sees you. He sees you. He knows you. And that's who he cares about, loves, and wants to heal. But if you're denying it, how can he heal you when you're saying, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. No, everything's fine. I'm not sick. There's big growth on your head. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's going to go away any day now. You know, it's just a... No, man, I got to deal with that. I got to get rid of that. And we deny it, and to God it's a cancer that's eating us alive until we deal with that. Turn with me to Psalm 51. (laughs) 
David is called a man after God's own heart. And, and if you know much about David, that can strike you a little funny since he was an adulterer and a murderer. He took another man's wife and then he killed the man. And you say, well, he's a man after God's own heart. What, what's the deal with that? Well, he may have been an adulterer and he may have been a murderer. And he definitely had some issues. But he knew God saw him. And this psalm is a beautiful psalm that deals with God dealing with him. Starting at verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Do you know your transgressions? Are they before you? Or are you hiding them under the rug? They're not there. No, that's okay. Everything's fine. We sold it for this price. David knows his transgressions. His sin is before him. He is totally aware of who he is. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. What do you mean against you and you only have I sinned? You sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against a lot of people when you took the census and God didn't want you to. You, you, you sinned against a lot of people. Well, sin begins with God. It always does. You sin against God before you sin against people. That's where it begins because God has set the standard and you break the standard that God has set and then it affects people. If we would recognize this, recognize that really there is no support group that can keep you from sin. You can lie to your wife. You can lie to your friends. When you recognize that you can't lie to God and care about that, then that's what's important. That, that's where the change can begin, is when you say, God against you, I'm sinning. And if that matters, then it can affect your life. Otherwise, we can play games. He goes on, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. I love this verse. God, what do you desire? I desire truth in the inmost parts of your being. I desire for there to be the truth of who you are. And for you to recognize it, that's what I desire. And I want you to be genuine. I don't want you to play the part. I don't want you to put on a show. I want you to be the real deal, even if that's a little funky sometimes. Because then I can deal with you. Then I can change you. Then you understand 
where you are at. I desire truth. I don't want your show. I hate your feasts, your religious ceremonies. I hate it. I hate hate's a strong word. I don't, you know, what do you hate? I hate liver and onions. I hate, you know, I hate. What do you hate? God hates this. I hate it. You're not being truthful. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And verse 10 is such a powerful verse. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. I love this verse because it is saying, God, do in me what I cannot do myself. Create in me something that is not naturally there. Make me someone else. You cannot be someone else if you like who you are. Or if you're not truthful with who you are. But when you see yourself as you really are, have the truth of who you are open before you, before God, then he can create in you a new heart. Why? Because you have opened yourself up and asked for it. You said, God, I want to change. I want to be cleansed. Have mercy on me. God, this is who I really am, and it's not good. Create in me something different. And that's the miracle of God. Is that He takes people who are broken, heals them, strengthens them, and then makes them people that are useful. That's the miracle of God. He doesn't just put on a facade. He takes real broken, messed up people and changes them. See, if it wasn't for God, I I would kind of agree with that statement that people don't change. But we are here because we believe that God can change people. I believe that. But for people to change, for us to change, there needs to be truth in the inward parts. There needs to be putting down the mask and saying... I need help. I'm broken. Can you pray for me? Can I confess my sin? And you don't have to get into nitty-gritty details. You can just tell someone, man, I'm really struggling. I'm having a hard time walking this Christian life. I've got temptation all around me. I've got things that are pulling me. I want to be dishonest. I want to, you know, take money from this person. I want to do this dishonestly. Whatever it is. And then there's the ability for God to create a new heart. Because you're open, you're broken, it's the first step. The first step towards a life that is whole sometimes is a step to turn around. And if we're living hypocritical lives, we're going to keep walking away instead of 
saying, I'm sorry, I need to change my direction. And so this lesson of Ananias and Sapphira, it was made strong on purpose. God isn't just saying, I hate you guys, boom, who's next, who's next? God is setting a principle of precedence for you and me to understand what hypocrisy is. It is death. It is death for you. It is death for me if we will not be genuine in the inward parts, if we will not be true to God, if we will not be broken and say, I need your help. Today, right now, I need help. And it would allow us to really care for one another the way we should, be able to pray for one another the way we're supposed to, so that you can have genuine and deep relationships with friends. Do you have people that you can go to and say, hey man, this is going on in my life, whatever it is, blah, throw it out there. And they could say, well, let's pray. I hope you do. I hope you are one of those persons. So when they come to you and they say, blah, you don't go, you get away from me. You get the washcloth and, and you clean it up. When my boys were young, they were about, they were under two years old. I don't know, they had the flu or something. And they just drank some grape juice, I think, or something like that, because it was purple. <laughs> you know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> and I was holding one of my boys because he was sick, you know, and he's crying, and all of a sudden, whatever that stuff was that he ate came out, you know, and and I'm like holding him, you know, and it's all over me. Yeah, it was bad. But I didn't take him and go, ah, get out of here, you know, green, throw him away. Later I handed him to her, but no, that's my son. Had to get a washcloth and I had to wipe his face. Had to change his shirt, change his jammies, and get him cleaned up. Because I care about him. Because he's sick. And yeah, it's messy, and yeah, it's difficult. But I love him, and I'm going to care for him. God loves you, cares for you. And yeah, you might be sick, and it might be gross, and it might be purple gunk and junk and, and funky, whatever you're going through. But don't put up a facade. God sees, he knows, and he wants to clean you up. He wants to take care of you. Let him, let him learn why he made this point so strong. It will kill you and your relationship with God if you live a hypocritical life. It will kill you. Let's pray. Father, I'm sure each one of us has dark places in our lives where we really would just rather keep secret. But Lord, we need to see this morning that there are no secrets with you. Not only do you see that darkest place in our lives as if it was in the bright sun, but you are waiting for us to acknowledge it 
and to ask for your help. Lord, you desire truth in the centermost of our being. And if we will be truthful to you, you will be, bring healing to our lives and you can create within us a new heart. And God, that is what we want. We want to be changed. We want to be new. We want to be genuine, especially before you, God. And Lord, I pray that you would do that within us this morning. That we would see what took place with Ananias and Sapphira and understand why you made that point so strong. And may that point be made in our own hearts, in our own lives. May we not play games with you. If there are things within our life that are not pleasing to you, may we not hide them, but may we surrender them to you. Father, I believe your spirit has touched the heart of a lot of people here this morning. I know you touched my heart as I was reading and preparing this. And so, Lord, we want to make opportunity to turn to you and say, I identify with that. That's me. I need to be truthful to God. And if the Spirit is ministering to your heart this morning and you feel like, yeah, that is you, I have been playing a game. I have been putting on a, a show and putting up a a face, but not genuine before God or to myself. But I want to be. The Spirit has opened my eyes this morning. Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you see the hands that are raised and the work that your Spirit is doing. I pray for these who have willingly said, yeah, that's me, who have raised their hands, not concerned about if someone sees them as uh, needing help or not, Lord, concerned with wanting you to help in these areas. And so, Lord, we do raise our hands, raise our hearts to you and say, create within us a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within us. Lord, may you heal which was broken. And God, we thank you that you you bring us to a place where you don't let us get away, continuing living a life that just is a lie. But you want truth. Father, may we recognize that. May we recognize the freedom there is in living a life that is genuine before you. We don't have to put on a show. You love us for who we are right now. And that's where you want to work. Begin your work in us, we pray. And continue it today. We do ask in Jesus' name. Amen.